Welcome to Aiming for the Moon. I am Taylor Bledsoe. And I'm Maddie Henry. And on this podcast, we interview interesting people from a teenage perspective. That's right. And today we will be interviewing David Ishii, who is a dog breeder and a biohacker. So here's the interview. Well, welcome, Mr. Ishii, to the interview. You are well known for being a biohacker who works on genetically engineering dogs. So it's great to have you here. Now, one of the reasons I reached out to you is because you were in Dr. Walter Isaac, sorry, Professor Walter Isaacson's latest book, The Codebreaker. So I just wanted to say thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's awesome having you here. So before we get started on all the main questions, I just wanted to ask you, what is the problem with breeding dogs, like basically the inbred prob- problems, and how can this CRISPR technology possibly help fix it? Okay, so, um, you know, CRISPR technology is, is a, a gene editing technology, right? So uh, the thing that makes CRISPR interesting is that it, it allows you to more easily change the genome of an animal in a, in a controlled way. Uh, it's relatively, e- well, I say relatively easy. It's not insane uh, to just add a gene, right? So uh, stuff that we've been doing for a while now is just like dumping another gene into a genome and letting it just randomly integrate isn't all that hard. The tricky part is like, say you want to repair a genetic disease, um, you know, you've got to go in and change a gene that already exists uh, to be not mutated, basically. You have to take a mutation and turn it into to its normal state. Um, and uh, the trouble with dogs is a lot of genes that are associated with unique features and some that just aren't, you know, some that are just, uh, it's sort of background things, um, end up causing genetic diseases, uh, especially in their, uh, there'll be recessive genes. So like without getting too technical, uh, dominant genes um, manifest easily. You know, you only need one copy from one parent and, and you'll have that problem. So it's easy to get rid of dominant traits, but recessive traits build up. Um, and you know, if you have a population that has a very limited gene pool, uh, and they have some harmful recessive traits, say something that hurts their livers, we'll say, for example, uh, and it's recessive. So if they've got a copy of one healthy gene and a broken gene, then, uh, the population is healthy for the most part, except when an individual ends up with two broken copies. Um, and the problem with inbreeding is you have a really tiny population, you know, as far as the gene pool goes. And so in dog breeding specifically, it's kind of, uh, it fell out of fashion about the time the Victorians got into eugenics um, to, to have genetic diversity. <laughs> and so they, they wanted unique kinds of dogs uh, that were very distinct. You know, they wanted to be able to say, oh, my dog looks like this and nobody else has a dog like that. And they would do that with a lot of inbreeding and having a really limited gene pool. That way their dogs never sort of drifted back towards normal looking like a pug does not look anything like a wolf. And so by having a really, really small gene pool full of these mutations, the, the problems uh, there's a really high opportunity for a single dog a lot, or lots of single individuals to have um, two copies of broken genes. And Dalmatians is a good example. They all 
the entire breed in the 1970s had uh, uh, a gene that causes a condition called hyperuricemia. It's just a little broken gene. And so if you get two copies of that broken gene, you can't clear uric acid from your blood. And so um, with their gene pool being so limited, there were none of them left that had the healthy gene. And so how do you fix it without breeding outside the breed? And normally you would just breed to healthy individuals, but if you're limited to only the breed and the entire breeds affected or 99% of the breeds affected, it's hard to get away from that. So they ended up having to crossbreed them to pointers um, and still most of the breeds affected. And the problem with a, a solution like that is it takes, you know, one outcross event takes, it's been since the 1970s. Um, and still the majority of, of uh, Dalmatians have that. The interesting thing about CRISPR is CRISPR can just go in and hyperuricemia specifically is caused because one sort of letter, one genetic letter is wrong. Uh, it was a T that should have been a G. And so you can go in there and just swap it. And so if you do that in a thousand litters in one generation, you can produce thousands and thousands and thousands of healthy dogs in a generation. So something that takes decades to do with a sort of backbreeding program and selection, you could maybe do in a few years with CRISPR. That's really fascinating. So it basically the problem started out when all of these genes started mixing together and basically you had recessive genes that were more likely to come up because of you had a smaller group. So I yeah. find that really interesting. Basically, CRISPR goes in and change the gene, changes the gene that would cause the problem, which is, again, very fascinating. So before yeah. I continue, I wanted to make sure I had my terms right. When you say a dominant gene, an example is like in humans, brown hair and brown eyes. Is that correct? A gene that's more likely to come out? Because I know obviously yeah. nothing about biology. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, a good example is is like hair color is pretty common. So like really when you're talking about dominant genes, it gets really complicated, but without getting into it too much, because there's also like incomplete dominance and all this other craziness. Um Imagine you have a gene that creates the black pigment, right? Uh, for that goes in your hair, and say there's a mutation that breaks that gene. Well, if you have two copies of the broken gene, you don't have black hair because that gene that gene's broken. So you have some other color of hair, maybe blonde hair, something like that, and that's okay because it doesn't affect you negatively, right? It doesn't cause any harm. But um, if you had one copy of that gene, you're still making that protein. Now, in some cases, you would have like, you know, diluted color, you know, you'd have like diminished amount of black, but in some cases, you only need one copy of the gene to get the phenotype. So the phenotype is the the, the way it looks, right? Um, and so if you want black hair, and you got black hair from one parent, and let's just call it broken black hair from from the other parent, then the black gene is still there producing the black pigment, well, producing proteins that probably are enzymes that help produce black pigment, but without going crazy. Um, so having that intact functional gene, they're both kind of running, but one's broken and one's not. So it ends up producing the thing. Two copies of the broken one can't produce it. Two copies of the functional one and one copy of the functional one end up creating the same appearance. So small gene pool, uh, there's less opportunity for there to be one of the the functional ones, especially if you're selecting for that color over time. And especially since some genes have multiple effects. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And again, that's really fascinating and help, uh, definitely helps understand more of the science side of all of basically what's going on. So what are the projects you're really well known for, at least to the general non-biohacking community? Which, by the way, listeners, is an awesome term that I really love a lot. It sounds amazing. <laughs> sounds like you're going to be part of Terminator or something awesome. <laughs> you'd be surprised how many people are trying to get away from biohacking. I think it's an awesome term, too. Yeah, it sounds like you're, I don't, I don't even know, futuristic people making something cool. And it obviously, I don't know too much about it, but it sounds really smart. So awesome term, I think. <laughs> Good. So you're really well known in the general community, basically, who knows anything about biohacking or CRISPR, especially because of Professor Isaacson, about your project to basically make dogs glow in the dark. Could you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> so it seems a long way away from fixing genetic diseases, I know, but um, so there's there's different techniques for for doing the gene editing, and that's my whole my whole plan really uh, is to uh, there we have the technology. So okay, dogs have well over seven hundred different unique genetic diseases. They have more genetic diseases than any other species of animal. So to give you a, a comparison wolves have about seven genetic diseases and dogs have over 700 so that that difference is on us you know and so it's really on us to do something about it um and and we've just we've damaged their gene pool and so we've got the tools to fix it the trouble is the people who have the tools to fix it are working at universities and and in pharmaceutical labs and stuff like that and they're trying to cure cancer in humans and you know, kind of, kind of uh, push human medicine to that, that next place. And so they don't really have, uh, the incentives don't really line up to make them want to go cure hyperuricemia and Dalmatians, right? Um, and the dog breeders have the want to and the incentive to do it, but they don't have the tools. So my whole goal is trying to connect the dog breeders and the genetic engineers together. And, and so if my plan is to try and teach dog breeders to do genetic engineering. That means I need to make it easier and I need to make it cheaper, a lot cheaper. Um, because like extracting a, a fetus from a dog and then doing genome editing and then re-implanting it and then growing it up. I think, yeah, believe it or not, you have to get that puppy through the FDA because the FDA considers that dog to be a drug, which is a whole insane issue onto itself. Um, so all of that's very expensive and it's very difficult and there's really no path. And so uh, there's a tech, there's different techniques for, for editing uh, 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 germline cells, so like eggs and sperm. And so uh, there's a technique called sperm-mediated gene transfer uh, that's been used in pigs. Uh, so you can use the, the, the sire's genetic material uh, instead of the mother's, which is just more accessible. So that's sort of within the wheelhouse of, of what dog breeders already have the facilities and experience with. And so if you can just sort of, uh, so my whole goal is to prove that method can work with dogs. So uh, when I'm testing that, I don't want, so that's never been used in dogs successfully. Um, and that's never been used in, um, and, and CRISPR has never been used with that method of gene editing. So uh, rather than combining them at first, uh, which makes troubleshooting a lot harder because like if it doesn't work, then I have to ask myself, what didn't work? Did remediated gene transfer not work or did CRISPR not work? And because of, you know, my, my designs or something like that. So 
uh, simplify it. So I just use a test gene in the place of trying to repair a genetic disease. And the normal test gene to use uh, is a gene called GFP, which is green fluorescent protein. And what it does is it makes things glow green. So uh, it's a jellyfish gene. And uh, so my first work is on converting that protocol from pigs to dogs uh, and using GFP to make dogs glow as a test. If they glow, then I know it worked. So basically making a dog glow, which sounds crazy. I sound crazy just saying that. (laughs) But (laughs) making a dog grow is one step to basically solving genetic diseases. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yes. That's that's that tests the methodology. And once I know that the method works, then I go to the next step, which is kind of past the um sort of prototyping phase, I guess you'd say. And I and I combine it with CRISPR to actually work on a genetic disease, which is why I reference hyperuricemia because that's my first target. It's just sort of uh, particularly well situated for CRISPR. Um, but if I can do that, then I can just teach dog breeders how to do it. Lots and lots and lots and lots of dog breeders. And if tens of thousands of dog breeders could do it, if I can make it where it's simple, cheap and and easy to do the genetic design part is difficult like designing your construct designing your sort of genetic machinery to do the job um but the actual lab work is not that bad the actual like where you're pipetting and 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 moving you know small amounts of of dna and fluid around really isn't that complicated so if i can teach that part to dog breeders uh then we've got a huge resource of people who can start working on these genetic diseases. Um, but you have to get it down to an accessible level. So that's, that's, that's why it's sort of the first one. Part of the reason I, I, I think GFP is useful is it also captures people's attention. Um, if you can, cause if I can make a dog glow, there's really no reason somebody else, uh, there's no excuse for somebody at that point to produce dogs with bad hips and bad thyroids and bad hearts. Now we could do something about it. Yeah, that is really cool. And for the record, I want a glowing dog. That sounds incredible. <laughs> I have a puppy and she's really cute. She's a cavapoo. But man, if she could glow, how crazy would that be? <laughs> so I kind of want to ask you, I'm sure this comes up at some yeah. point. People may say, this is mean to dogs. Like you're injecting them with all this foreign stuff. This has got to be cruel to animals. How do you respond to people like that? Well, so uh, so I'm not actually having to inject dogs with anything. Um, although for the record, I do inject dogs with things, but that's like vaccines and stuff, normal dog breeder stuff. But uh, but as far as like the genetic work, nothing has to be injected. That's that's one of the reasons I wanted to focus on spermidated gene transfer. It's super non-invasive um, because I don't think it's reasonable to ask dog breeders to do the really invasive stuff that's normal for gene editing. Um, and so spermidated gene transfer, there's no there's no needles. Uh, there's no, uh, you know, there's no surgical extraction of, of, of egg cells or anything like that. So, you know, the dogs are completely unharmed in any way. The only thing that could potentially be harmful is if my, um, construct doesn't work right, uh, I could potentially cause a, a genetic problem, right? Uh, so if I break something while I'm trying to fix something and my response to that is, uh, you know, there's 700 diseases to fix. They're already broken, you know, and, I accept that every dog breeder runs the risk of creating a dog with a genetic disease. There's always a possibility whenever you create any life, but you know, a puppy 
uh, litter of puppies that there may be one that has an issue and you have to kind of expect accept moral responsibility for that so you know the ethics of dog breeding or animal breeding in general are always complicated in that direction but uh, when you're trying to cure or you're trying to open a door that can potentially cure hundreds of genetic diseases you know and nobody else is trying i think i think you kind of have to i think there's not really a a justification there's no justification for not doing it eventually yeah that I, think is... we're, I think we have an ethical responsibility to... oh, sorry i think we have an ethical responsibility to fix the problems we have the power to yeah yeah that's that's really interesting so i could talk to you for hours about this this would be fascinating but unfortunately we're running out of time so i wanted to ask you the last two questions we no it's completely fine i i've gone over that's my fault but it's completely fine with me i love talking about this stuff all right so the next question is what advice do you have for teenagers um so one thing i think uh will be really big uh, in in the next coming few years, it'll have a big impact on sort of the lives and careers of teenagers now, um, is I think bio- biotech is about to do what computer tech did uh, a few years back, or, you know, sort of for my generation. So um, the sort of Silicon Valley of biotech is going to be starting up soon, and it's going to be a lot of opportunities in that space. Um, so I think... Uh, when you're looking at a career, think about biotech as an option. It's it's going to be growing a lot. I think there's going to be a lot of possibilities in that direction. And the technology is going to really reshape the world kind of in the same way computer technology did. And uh, if you want to go to a space that has a lot of opportunities and a lot of room to sort of put your stamp on the world, I think it's something you should consider. So basically, biohacking is a new field that you think is basically going to be like programming and hacking back when a few a few generations ago, not a few generations ago, like yeah, thirty years ago, you know, a couple generations ago, <laughs> a couple of generations. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. really hey, bad at dates. My, my my daughter's about your age, so it works out. Right. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So but yeah, thanks. you know, my, my, uh, just, just, it may not be your interest, but it's worth taking a look at. Yeah. It's, it seems really fascinating and I'll definitely have to check it out. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Ishii for coming on. It's been awesome having you on. I've loved being able to talk about glowing dogs, biohacking and everything else we covered. It was really interesting. Thanks for having me. You know, Maddie, before this interview, I had never heard of biohacking. Had you? No, not at all. I didn't know what it was at all. Yeah, it was interesting. I I learned a little bit about it before we did the interview. um, And I kind of, I was really interested in it. It's interesting that he's trying to come up with a cure for these dogs that have been so inbred that he's trying to fix them with this new technology. What What did you think about that? I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, no, what I found was shocking was he was talking about how dogs have like over 700 genetic diseases. And like, I think he was talking about wolves and they have like seven. And I was like, wow. So really, there really is a big issue with all the genetic diseases. But I'm 
I'm glad somebody's actually trying to fix that because he made a good point. A pug does not look like a wolf. Like obviously something happened in between there. And so, but that's, I still find that crazy. I did not think the dogs had that many genetic diseases. Yeah. I didn't know that either. I have a little Cavapoo and she's about four years old and she's so fluffy. She looks nothing like a wolf. She is not scary at all. She tries to bark at the trash truck and it goes away. But after that, she's very cute and not scary. And you have a wiener dog. So I do. I have a lab and a wiener dog and yeah, neither of them, the lab more than the wiener dog, but I cannot see how a wolf could go to a dachshund. How does that work? Like, there is a jump. I don't know. There's a, there is a big jump there. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. That was, that was interesting that he's trying to find like a cure by, by having this glow in the dark stuff involved. And I thought that was really interesting. The other thing I thought was insightful was that he's doing this because he loves dogs. He's not doing this just to be mean to dogs. He's actually, it's when you first hear about, it, you're kind of like this guy experiments on dogs to do what do you, what do what? Like, what is he doing? Making them glow? How could he? But if you actually talk to him, he's like, well, I'm doing this because I want to cure this, all these genetic diseases that kill all the Dalmatians. Is that right? I do. Yeah. I find that really interesting because at first when I heard when you said we're interviewing this guy and we searched him and researched, I was like, glow in the dark dogs? Why? But I think it's, it is, he's a dog lover. And like you said, he's doing this to try to help the dogs even in it. I, in I'm glad because I'm what? Yeah, I'm a dog lover. So anything for the dogs, I'm on board. I think most people are um, dog lovers. Well, with that, and I will have the books that were recommended linked below in the description. Um, check those out when you get a chance. That got cut a little bit out because of some weird recording issues. All right, notifications. Ba-ding, Maddie, hit us up with those regular ones. Well, we have a website at aimingforthemoon.com. Um, so go check us out there. We have guest pages. We have a contact page, endorsements, about us page. So we have like lots of cool things on there. Um, and our contact page, like we said, is a great way to get in contact with us. If you have recommendations for guests or any questions or concerns, or if you just want to say hi, we'd love to hear from you. Um, we also are on Instagram and Twitter at aiming the number four moon. So if you want to come have regular updates or you can even contact us through those, both those platforms, we'd love to hear from you and go ahead and follow us if you want. And then also we are on YouTube at aiming for the moon podcast. So podcast is kind of the key word there, um, but we'll occasionally post stuff. Um, so yeah, there you go. Yes. And I've been reading through this book that Cal Newport recommended called the rise of Theodore Roosevelt. And I've loved it so far. I would definitely recommend it. So a lot of the books that have had an impact on you, um, Maddie and I will sometimes read a few of them. And I don't know if I'm going to write a review on this one, but I would definitely recommend it. All right. So I think that covers almost everything. Don't forget to rate the podcast that helps us be seen by more people and more people will come and listen to us, That which would be great. That means we can get bigger guests and the cycle repeats. And then um, share the podcast for the same reasons. Five stars if you like it. One if you hate it. Be honest. Don't forget. Set your sights high. And aim for the moon.